Good morning. Hope you got your Bibles with you this morning. Turn with me to John chapter 3. We're going to finish out John chapter 3 today. We're going to look at verses 22 to 36. If, if you're a guest with us, welcome. Let me explain to you what we do here um, as far as when we gather together. We, we are a church that preaches expositionally. In other words, I seldom preach on a particular topic. What we do is pick books of the Bible and we study the whole thing. Every section, every verse, and even sometimes every little word. We've started a series in the Gospel of John called Behold and Believe. And, uh, and I hope you see this morning, even a text that I changed last night is a text that Micah read today. That is because we study God's Word in this section together. And he picks the worship in order to preach a message. So you hear two messages, really. And those songs that we sing today, I hope you will see, are in line with God's Word of what we're reading today. So stand with me to your feet. We're gonna, the text is a little long today, but I have been convicted. We need to give ourselves to the public reading of God's Word. So let's read this this morning. John chapter 3. We're looking at verse, beginning at verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing John was also baptizing at Enon near Selim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear, bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord, now, we want to understand what this verse and this section is saying what it means and how shall we live in light of the truth. And so, Lord, if there is ever a period of time that this world is in conflict, it is today. And so, God, help us to know how to deal with that. Speak to us from your word, through your spirit, for your glory. 
say these things, we pray these things, we receive these things by the authority of Jesus Christ, who is our brother. Amen. You could be seated. Family in conflict. Nobody ever has that, do you? You've never woken the kids up, you know, having a conversation. There's a conversation going on in the text today. Don't you just wish sometimes you could be there just to hear people's tone when they're asking the questions they ask, when they say the things they say. I come in early on Sunday mornings, no surprise for a pastor, and, you know, go over the message. And I usually, because I'm a hands-on kind of guy, I've got to get up and do something to handle my, my nerves and all these things. And then I, sometimes I go outside, and I just pray, and I just watch people go by. So I'm sitting there this morning, and all of a sudden, this car slows up, and he swoops in the parking lot right there close to me. And I was like, oh, no, so I've made somebody mad somewhere in the past. And I'm thinking, yeah, because... But it became evident as soon as he put in. There was two people screaming in the car. There was nobody listening. There was a conversation happening. And they spun around in the parking lot, and I was like, <laughs> they're mad at somebody, but it's not me. That's, that's life today. A lot of conversations happening, not really. A lot of conflict, nobody listening. John is going to help us today. We've all experienced this. Uh, a pastor, a person we love, has happened here many times. God calls them away, they move away, a job takes them away, and they leave, and we're hurt. We're, we miss them. There's people that's, that's, that's all over the place now that I ache for them. I wish they were here. It is at that context, brothers and sisters, at that moment, that the seed of conflict by the devil is planted in our life. We've got to be careful today. I pray that the Lord will teach us. You see, John the Baptist teaches us this morning how to handle these conversations of life. He also is going to teach us some principles of life and ministry that you're going to be able to use every day in your life. Here's a question. I'm going to come back to it. I just want to plan it now. Was John's life, John the Baptist I'm speaking of this morning, I say John, I'm most likely talking about him, the context. Is John the Baptist's life and ministry a success or a failure? Now, before you answer that very quickly, think about his whole life. Think about his end. Let's come back to that. Turn with me to Hebrews. I want to set the, the context here. Again, we're going to come back here as well. Hebrews chapter 11, this section of Scripture for, for our family has been exceedingly important as God calls you to do something. And you're wondering, what does success look like here? You know, this is the chapter of faith. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. All the people, all the people that lived from the old into the new lived by faith. And he continues in verse 32. Look at it. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Look at all this. This is good. Who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead. Now that's what we want our life and ministry to be characterized. But that's not where he stops. By faith, brothers and sisters, this morning, some were tortured. 
Some by faith refused to accept release so that they might rise to a better life. Others suffered mockings and floggings and even chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Verse 39, all of these and all of these through, through commendation through their faith did not receive what was promised since God has provided something better for us. And apart from us, they should not be made perfect. If you're saved today, brothers and sisters, you're on that list. You're on the list. You're on the list of the by faiths. By faith, Mike lives the life that he... Here's the point. God saves you, and he picks the path you walk. And you don't. And we don't like it. But God picks it. These people lived by faith. We live by faith. John's walking in his life in ministry, and he is walking by faith. He is doing what he's supposed to do, and some of his followers didn't like it. They didn't understand it because of their definition of what success really looks like. God not only calls you today and those that are listening online to start by faith, He calls you to finish by faith. The big picture this morning is in the Gospel of John. If we go back to John now, is the community of faith is beginning to gather. The disciples are gathered. Now he begins to tell us of these distinct people. We're going to see somebody completely opposite next week, the Nicodemus. Beginning to gather. And what do we see at his gathering? Conflict. Satan loves conflict. He's really good at it. Matter of fact, he's really good at causing conflict in good things. <laughs> Sometimes we're not prepared for it. It is in victory that the devil will knock the feet out from under you. And you know, it's easy at this point to become critical. And that's what's happening here. Jealous, envious, bitter. Some, oftentimes, mamas are really worried in the service. Because, like right now, we don't have kids' ministry. People bring their kids in and say, Did my kids distract you? They don't distract me at all. You know what distracts me? That mean guy in the, congregation, in the congregation who's listening to me with a critical spirit waiting for me to say something he don't like. That's the only person that ever bothers me when I'm preaching. And yes, we've had some over the years. This critical spirit is what causes division. So here's the main idea. The purpose of life and ministry is not to point to oneself but to Jesus Christ. I added this just to be redundantly clear. As we call all peoples to follow Christ. So you see the two points. The point of life and ministry. And by ministry in the Bible, it just means serving. Serving God in a specific way that He calls you to do. That's what that means. The purpose of life and ministry is not to point to oneself. So you see, John helps us here. Because if you read the other Gospels, you almost assume that when Jesus' ministry began, John was already in prison. That's not true. There was overlap in their ministries, and that is why there is a potential for conflict. Jesus' ministry is going. John's ministry is still going, and he is still baptizing. You see in the text, verse 22 to 24, people were coming to be baptized. So interesting, some 20 years after Jesus' resurrection, there were still people following John's baptism. But here is the potential. 
Look at it, verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Verse 26. And so they came to John and said, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look. Can't you just hear him? He is baptizing. I can almost hear. Just think about it. It's me. I hear it in a whiny tone. Everybody's going to him. You know, at least that's probably what I would have said. You know what was funny about studying this week? The commentators were arguing with each other over the context of exactly what they're arguing about. I just had to laugh. You know, this guy, this guy says that they were arguing. Matter of fact, this was J.C. Ryle's opinion that they were saying which which baptism is most valuable, which is most effective. And the other guy said, "That's the stupidest thing I ever heard." They were it's about this Jew that they were talking to over purification. And I, was, and I just chuckled within me to say, "We're arguing about what they're arguing about." It just shows you the nature of people. We're naturally prone to argue, to have these conversations. The point, verse 26, is they were saying, everybody's going to him. Now, this is exaggerating, of course, when you're resentful, (laughs) when you're envious, when you're jealous. You oftentimes exaggerate. Everybody's leaving. Of course, people were still there. People were still coming. They were still there. But this was the potential. This is nothing new. You remember Jesus' disciples, Luke chapter 9? Matter of fact, this is John, the apostle to John, who's actually said this. Just listen. Luke 9, 49. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow with us. And what Jesus said, verse 50. Jesus said to him, Don't stop him, for he who is not against you is for you. The danger of denominationalism is to think somehow we as Southern Baptists have a monopoly on the gospel. We do not have a monopoly on the gospel. And when we begin to think that way, we become critical of our own brothers and sisters in Christ. We agree with the gospel. Even in the midst of good things, pride can well up. And when pride wells up, resentment and jealousy wells up. This was true in the Corinthian church. Do you remember? We just got through studying through... Corinthians not too long ago remember chapter 1 verses 10 to 13 they were saying what I follow Apollos well I follow Peter I follow Paul and somebody else sitting there going well we follow Jesus I don't know who you're following you see that even that potential it says conflict how does John going to respond you see that's important how's John going to respond just some basic principles that we can learn but there's a chief one. The ministry of John the Baptist, the chief, his chief principle is this. It's not about me. It's not about me. Here's how you'd resolve conflict. It's how, how he responded. Look at verse 27. John answered, A person cannot receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Verse 28. You yourselves bear, bear witness with me that I said, I am not the Christ. I have been sent before him. I just want as much as we could look at this morning here, I just want you to observe his humility. John's humility. Three things here I want you to see that John is aware of that that drives his humility. And that if you haven't locked this down today, your humility is always going to be a struggle. He is aware of God's sovereignty and his goodness. Do you see it? A person can't receive one thing unless it comes to him from 
heaven. John is the receiver. God is the giver. You see the word give? He's the giver. It means to grant, to appoint. It's passive. He gives. We receive. We take hold of it. What he gives to us. We also see not only John is John the Baptist is aware of God's sovereignty and his goodness, he is aware of his unworthiness. Remember, he is the one who said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm not even worthy to do the lowest menial job of a slave. I'm not worthy. I'm not the Christ. I was sent to do what he told me, he told me to do. We also see third, and this is something that's going to carry through the rest of the message. He is aware of the preeminence of Jesus Christ. You see it? He's aware of God's sovereignty and goodness. Everything I have came from Him. He is aware of His own unworthiness. I do not deserve to do what God has called me to do. And He is aware that the reason I am here is to point to a person. The principle here should be clear. Everything in life is grace. I've already said, everything in life we live by faith. Everything in John's life he saw by grace. Do you remember 1 Corinthians 4, 7? I love this passage. It's something that reminds me in my own pride. What do you have? I say this all the time to Stephen. I put my name in there. Stephen, what do you have that you did not receive? And so, Stephen, if you all received everything you have, why are you bragging about it like it actually belongs to you? The principle, not about me. Everything in life is grace. So understand these few things today. Behind every success in this life is a sovereign God. Behind everything we do that we feel successful is because the kindness of God so there is a departing crowd in John's ministry. That's what, the, that's what his disciples are saying. There's people leaving. John says this. God is in control. God brought them and God can take them away. We're going to trust him. This is the key to John's contentment. You see the principle? There's a third, there's a third principle here. Never stand where God stands. Never desire to stand where God stands. He stands there. He is sovereign. He is good. He is kind. He chooses the path when we don't. And we say, praise the Lord. The heart of all unbelief is a desire to stand where God stands. It was where Satan stood. I desire to stand where God stands. It is where Eve stood. It is where Adam stood that plunged us all into sin. It is the root of all discontentment, a distrust in God's sovereign goodness. Success in life, we're going to talk about some exciting changes that are coming to, this, to, our, to our space that we have at the end of the service. But let me say this very clearly. Success in life and ministry is not big, big building projects. It's not growing attendance or growing budgets. It is a desire to see and to savor the hand of God in your life and ministry. And if you do not seek that above all things, your ministry is a failure if you have 60,000 people following you because what they're doing is following you. We don't want them to follow us. We want them to follow Christ. 
This is what we desire. The Great Commission, not to be something that I think is optional. The Great Commission to make disciples being not something that I think that I have to do, but that I get to do because that's what I was created to do. Matthew 16, 18 says this to Peter. Remember Jesus? And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. What is the church of God built on? Do you remember what God's Word says? The apostles and the prophets. The truth of God being spoke by the men of God. The church is built on the truth of God. But listen, He builds His truth with people that He calls by faith and gives us a part to play in the kingdom of God. This is what John understood ministry of John it's not about me you see John wasn't a story capital S and listen you're not either you're not the story no your testimony doesn't have a capital T on it doesn't your testimony is a lowercase t you're trying to get to the big T you're trying to get to the big S we exist not to make ourselves the story but to point to the story and his name is Jesus this is not only our life, this is our message. This is John's message. Jesus is here. Follow him. How he responded to conflict. He says, Everybody's leaving us, John. John says, Well, the bridegroom is here. I love this imagery. Verse 29 to 30. Look at it. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly. That the bridegroom's voice, therefore my joy is now complete. What is he saying? Here's what he's saying. I'm the best man. He's telling his disciples, I'm not the bridegroom here. I'm not the center of attention. I know we're all saying, isn't the bride the center of attention? No. Sorry, that's just not what the Bible paints the picture. The bridegroom is. The bridegroom was the He said, I'm not the bridegroom. I'm the best man. I was sent before him, verse 28, I have been sent by God to prepare for the wedding. To prepare the wedding. I'm not the bridegroom. I'm sorry. This is a relief to me. I'm not the Jesus somebody else needs. I am here to point somewhere. The bride is not mine. That's what he's saying. Bride's not mine. I'm the best man. I'm not the bridegroom. The bride does not belong to me. And listen, he's teaching his disciples this. Do not covet the bride because they do not belong to you. He, decide, he delighted. That's what he under, he, he's, he's trying to help them because he's overjoyed and they're not. He delighted because he gets to stand beside so what was in this culture the role of the best man? This is important. This is what he's saying. I'm the best man. So what was the best man's responsibility? He was the communication portal between the bride and the bridegroom. His job was to prepare the festivities, to make sure that everything went smoothly, and to ensure the bride was there. Once the groom arrived, his job was done. He then took his place beside the bridegroom. John the Baptist says, 
brothers. And Jesus is the groom who's come to marry his bride. Should I be angry because the groom's arrival? Brothers, isn't this what we've been looking for for 400 years? He didn't understand. He was overjoyed. Listen to Paul, same message. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2 says this. Paul's speaking to the church now, remember. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. John knew that was his purpose in life, and so this was his message. He's a bridegroom. He follow him. I'm going to enjoy him. Verse 29 and 30. I am enjoying him. I do enjoy him. My joy is complete. In other words, I could not be any happier than I am right now doing what God has called me to do. Mark 2, 19. Listen to what Jesus said. You remember there was the disciples wasn't fasting and the religious people didn't like it. Why, why aren't y'all fasting? You know, that's what we said to do. What did Jesus say? Mark 2, 19. Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Why? Because he's here, it's party time. I mean, you don't go on a diet on the honeymoon, do you? Right? It's, it's time to rejoice. It's time to enjoy. And my joy is complete. What was about to cause conflict in their life was bringing joy in his, and he was trying to explain it to them. He is saying, I will decrease and enjoy the bridegroom. You see, that's important to our life practically today. If you're not enjoying where you are in your life, it could be because you think it's all about you. This is what John is trying to help them with this morning. Malachi 4 verse 2 speaks of a day that is coming. Verse 2 of Malachi chapter 4 says this, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall." what John is saying I, I was sent Malachi said I was going to be sent to prepare the way and I have but he is here now the son of righteousness is here shall we not celebrate he goes on to say he must increase because of who he is and I must decrease because of who I am increasing in Christ's life was not an option and neither was it in John's to decrease you see the sunrise removes the need of the stars. Here's what he's saying. Should I not enjoy the sunrise? Is that not what we longed for? Is that not what Malachi said was coming? The sun will rise. When it does, he will make things right. This morning, brothers and sisters, before we move to our next point, are you enjoying the bridegroom? Because the key to that is dying to yourself. Success in life and ministry is pointing people to Christ, not gathering to ourselves. The purpose of life and ministry, then, is not to point to ourselves. Second point, it is to point to Christ. Three things I want you to see this morning under, from verses 31 to 36. 
three reasons that John is pointing other people to Christ. Three reasons he can do that in his life and ministry with no fear whether his ministry was going to be a success or a failure. This is critical. The first one. I'm overwhelmed by God's providence that brother, me and Brother Micah, Pastor Micah, can talk about God's Word and then go do the work God has called us to do. And he brings us together on the same page every week. Verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. And he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. Do you see the point of verse 31? First reason that John could point pointed others to follow Christ. The supremacy of Christ. Do you see it? He's contrasting here the supreme eternality of Christ versus the earthly John. He is saying, not only all of creation, but me. I am a man. I am from earth. Christ? From heaven. He's eternal. He's, he's making a very logical point. That which is earthly cannot have preeminence over that which is eternal. It's like comparing the ocean to an orange juice glass or the redwood forest to a toothpick to, to put yourself next to Jesus Christ. That's what he said. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> it's not about me. It's about him. He is preeminent whether I declare him to be or not because that's who he is. He's from heaven. In other words, listen, this is important. All creation exists to serve Christ and when it doesn't, People's life and creation itself gets out of sync. This world today, when you turn on the news, is out of sync. Oftentimes in my own life, I feel like I'm part of a marching band, but I'm playing my own music. Right? Like, I would, I would pick up their pieces of music, but then I'd get out of order, and that's my wife standing, she'd get mad at me. <laughs> It's like, it's like somebody, like all, everybody on the praise team has their own song they're singing today at the same time. When that happens, I can tell you it's not going to sound very beautiful. So let me apply this very clearly today to the church and the world. First, the church. You see, the church is not a group of individuals who play their own music. And no, you don't get to choose what part you play. I didn't say that. It's not up to me to choose. Christ is the one that chooses. We follow the lead of our leader like those of a marching band who all have the same sheet music but different parts to play. Our, the leader chooses what part he plays. He gives the assignments. He gives the gifts to play. And listen, this is important. It is our diversity that makes the music beautiful. So it is in the world. I'm going to be very clear here because I want to be. I want it to be. Is this not the question everybody is asking today? Is this not the question that people want you to answer today? Here's the question. Whose lives are supreme? That's the question. Are white lives supreme? Are black lives supreme? Are all lives supreme? And on and on we can go. Could I just be clear on God's Word? 
No lives are supreme. Christ's life is supreme. Christ is supreme. And white lives and black lives and all lives exist to make much of Jesus Christ for He and He alone is supreme. And when it is true in our life that Christ is supreme, when we get this truth and we live this truth out, our diversity is what makes our music of life distinct and beautiful. Yes, it is Christians who have the answer to the present conflict, and the answer is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the message. This is why John can resolve conflict. It is not because he thinks he is supreme, nor his ministry is supreme. It is because the Jesus that he is pointing to is. Do you remember a blind man taught us, is going to teach us this when we get to John chapter 9? Do you remember the blind man? Jesus healed him. The religious people hated it. You remember that? They hated it. Here's what the blind man said. Taught us the supremacy of Christ. Listen to what he says. Never since the world began... Has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind? If this man, speaking of Jesus, were not from God, he could do nothing. You know what he taught him? I don't know who you're following, but never in, the, in this earth could an earthly man heal a man born blind. I'm going to follow him. He followed Christ and took what it cost. The supremacy of Christ, but also the testimony of Christ. The testimony of Christ. Verse 32. He bears witness to what we have seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets a seal to this, that God is true. Do you remember the book, Heaven is for Real? It was like a bestseller. Why did everybody go out and buy that book? Because they want to know what heaven's like. <laughs> so they asked the child... It would only, it's, it's sort of funny when you think about it. Here's what John's saying. Uh, hold on a second. Who came from heaven? Jesus did. So can I ask a question? Who do we think knows what heaven is like? That's what he's saying. We're going to believe the testimony of Jesus Christ because he came from heaven and, he, and he'll find out. He went back to heaven and he's coming again. He's the only one who understands life and death. He's the only one who understands heaven and hell. And what he says is true. And when we believe Jesus Christ, we believe God. And when we reject Jesus Christ, we reject God. It is the Father himself that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You see, John couldn't understand something. That's what he's saying here, verse 32. He expected the avalanche of Jewish people to repent, put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what they've been waiting on for 400 years. For this one to come. The son of righteousness to come. And he comes and most people reject him. That's what he's saying. Almost no one has responded. 1 John 5.10 Whoever believes in the son has the, te has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. We see the supremacy. We see the testimony. We also see the authority. Now he's going to work this out through the coming chapters. I just want you to see it. For he whom, verse 34, 
For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measures that give word again. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. We've got this word give. It's present tense, continuous action. It, it, it gives and keeps on giving. This is speaking predominantly of the Holy Spirit within Christ himself. Matthew Henry says it this way. The Spirit dwelt in him not as in a vessel, but as in a fountain, as in a bottomless ocean. Therefore, everything, see it? Everything has been given into his hands. You see, you can't detach supremacy from authority. You can't say, I believe in the supremacy of Christ and not believe in his authority to tell us how to live our life. This is going to be unfolded even more as we see God begin to talk about obeying the Father's will. God has given everything into his hands. Growth group is going to talk about this. John 17, 1 and 2. Jesus had spoken these words. He lifted his eyes up to heaven. This is a high priestly prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Growth groups want to talk about is eternal life a, a present reality or a future reality or both. So what today? So what today? If you've got your notes with you and you look at your notes, you'll notice I have a so what and a now what. The so what's what we're about to talk about. The now what's what we talk about in growth group. So what? Am I obeying the Son? This is no mistake that he puts verse 36 at the end of this discourse. Beginning with this religious man who needed Jesus, who didn't understand how to be born again. Says you must be born again through the, through the Holy Spirit. Must believe. What does it mean to believe? John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Growth Group's going to talk about this as well. True belief always is accompanied by obedience. Real faith brings real fruit. How many times have I heard a parent say, I know my child is saved. How do you know your child is saved? Well, when they were eight. They went through a class or prayed a prayer. We know people are saved because the work of the Spirit changes their nature. And then when they repent, they turn from their wickedness and they follow Christ. And those who follow Christ seeks to live the way He lived, to love the way He loves. Real faith brings real fruit. You see this connection? I didn't put this in the text. You see that? Belief and obedience is connected together in verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. You see that? Belief and obedience naturally come together. Am I, in, am I obeying the Son? In other words, if, if, if I ask you, sit down and tell me, 
what the gospel is, and I'm trying to see if you are a true born-again Christian. I want to know what God is doing in your life right now. I don't want to simply know what He did in your life when you were six. Because if He did anything when you're six, He's doing something in your life now. This is how we know, in fact, we are children of God. Are you enjoying the sun today? Are you like John It just says, you know, I'm bubbling up all over here. I can't stand myself. Look back at verse 29 and 30. Is this the way you see your relationship with Christ? The bride, the bridegroom? Our wedding vows. We said this, among other things. With this ring I thee wed, and all that I have, and all that I am, I give to you, and to you alone. We said that to each other. That was our commitment to faithfulness. And it was our key to joy of each other. Because I give that only to her and to nobody else. Are you enjoying the sun today? Have you committed yourself to Him and to Him only? Because here's the truth. I can't fulfill my wedding vows to her unless I love Him preeminently. I added this last night, Micah. Philippians 3, 9 to 11. I'm just going to pick up. What do you desire? Verse 9. To be found in Him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that depends on faith, that I might know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, become like Him in His death, and that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection of the dead. Can I ask you a question today? How do you want to be found? How do you want to be found? That's what He says. I want to be found in Him. I want to be found enjoying Him. You know what enjoying Him looks like? Knowing Him. Not knowing about Him. The devil knows about Him. I mean intimacy. I mean enjoyment. That's why there's a picture of a wedding here in this text today to help us understand. So, it's my main question, and I'm done, I promise. Am I embracing the role as the best man for the coming wedding? Am I embracing my role as the best man for the coming wet wedding? Brothers and sisters, we exist to prepare others to meet Christ. That's the purpose of your life. That's the purpose of my life. That is not just the purpose of the preacher nor the evangelist. We must do this together. This growing community that is at the brink of growth and conflict begins to come. We must reorient ourselves in the days of conflict to the person of Jesus Christ and to why we exist. We exist to point other people to follow Christ. And they follow Christ and they enjoy Christ first by seeing how you do. This must be our life. This has been mine. We equip. We labor. We lose. We gain. We start over and over and over and over again. We help people follow Christ. And I can weep right now because I caught them in my mind. There's some that walk away from us. And we pray for them. And we chase them. And we pursue them. 
But God calls us to go back and take that person who has just been born again and show them how to follow Christ and to not leave them nor forsake them. This is our calling, and in this we must persevere. If you still have breath in your lungs, you exist to prepare other people to meet Jesus Christ. How you do it? You do it by faith. The profound truth in Hebrews 11 at the end there in verses 39 and 40 is this thought for me last night as I thought about it. Somebody tell me, did Abraham receive everything God promised him? Not in his life, he didn't. What, did he have a place to bury his wife? The text says this. All these, through commendation, through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Why? Because God had provided something better for us. Us! That's what hit me last night. Abraham, David, Joseph, Joshua, Stephen. (laughs) One day, brothers and sisters, when Christ comes, He will raise us and we will be glorified together with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Joshua, Mike, Micah, Stephen, and the saints of God. And we will enjoy our Lord together forever as His people in faith. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I'll close with this question. Was John the Baptist's ministry a failure? You think about it. He lived his life. People started leaving. Not too long after this, what happened to him? He was arrested. What happened to him after he got arrested? Somebody tell me. Got his head cut off. Now, if we were judging that at a ministry review of the life and times of John the Baptist, the first Baptist of John's church, has his ministry, the dude lost his head. Everybody left his ministry. You see, don't judge your life by the way the world tells you to judge your life. Judge your life by the way Christ tells you to judge your life. I lived and obeyed by faith. And that is success in the eyes of Jesus Christ. And so it is in your life. Are you prepared to meet the Lord? And are you preparing others to meet Him? Brothers and sisters, this is the work. Close, bow your head with me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Oh, Lord, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so quickly clings to us. Lord, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Lord, God, our Father, let us look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now seated at Your throne. Oh, Lord, we long to be with You, but right now there is work to do. May it begin with us that are gathered here this morning. May we bind ourselves together by faith and labor for the growth of all people so that all might know you. Because, Lord, on that day when you glorify us, we're not all going to look alike. We're going to be from every ethnic group, every people group. And all of that beautiful diversity will be focused on your Son. 
Oh God, may your church look like that now. Do it now, God. Let us reflect your glory to the best that we can now. Let us long for that day. Lord, let us sing now. Will you receive our worship? Lord, we're about to respond. We're about to go to the tables. And as we do, oh God, will you remind us of the supremacy of your Son in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. May we remember the supremacy of Christ. His body was broke for us and his blood was shed for us that we might be one people. Receive our worship now in Jesus' name.